like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to back to the book of Acts, and we will be continuing from chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are continuing our series, The Seven Signs with Jose Rojas. This is the final one today, and uh, the title of today's message is The Sign of His Spirit. I'd like to um, add to that scripture reading, the very next words in scripture are, and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received them out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Jesus loves me. This I know. You know how? Because the Bible tells me so. Little ones like me, to him belong. We are weak, and he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. That's right. I know it's hard to believe. That's right. He loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Brown and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Jesus loves us all. I know. You know how? Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves you. That's right. Jesus loves us. For the Bible tells us so. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this special week. Seven simple signs that describe a person who walks with Jesus. Lord, yet one more time, please, we would see him again. Speak to us, for we ask in his name. Amen. We have looked at several signs this week. The sign of a Savior in which Jesus came to pay the price for our guilt. In a world that is torn by guilt and torn by dysfunctions that are the result of so much guilt among us. There's nothing like finding the freedom of a Jesus who forgives you of your guilt. And you're thinking about this. It leads us into the sign of his kingdom. A kingdom not just some kind of a heaven far away with fat babies with little tiny wings that don't work and three string harps. 
A kingdom that begins here, as he described, disciples who live for him now. The kingdom of heaven is like a, like a, a person who sowed a whole field of seed and somebody brought tares. And even though there's problems among us, we stay firm and bear good fruit. And we are leaven that affects the whole bread. The kingdom of heaven is like, like a mustard seed that creates a giant bush that drops thousands, hundreds of thousands of more seeds. You see, disciples on this planet who make a difference in the lives of others and were the sign of, another was a sign of his people that we, we've been called by him. We, we cannot find him. He's the one who finds us. Lost sheep cannot find shepherds. I was talking to somebody here in Grand Terrace the other day and he told me he had been a shepherd. He took care of sheep. He had 22 of them at the time before the city talked to him. You know, bah. and he says, too many people think that sheep are, are not intelligent because you misinterpret their, 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 their simpleness, their, their, their simplicity. The, the, the sheep is not, when the Bible says the sheep is dumb, it's not like today's use of like, oh, that was dumb. No, no, no. Dumb means it doesn't open its mouth and complain. But don't mistake that for a lack of intelligence because he was telling me that he could tell in the eyes of his sheep when, when he was shearing them, you know, with those big giant hand scissors, shears, things, he sometimes would accidentally stab a sheep and the sheep would, well, you know, it hurts, so obviously a response was appropriate. But then the sheep would lie there still so that he could finish his work. But he told me he could see a tear rolling down its cheek. That's not being unintelligent. That means it's humble. There's something powerful, the property of a sheep. And then one day they were going to have this big party, this big, all right, I'll admit it, a big fiesta. And everybody was coming and they saw his sheep, you know, sheep tacos are really good stuff. And he says he'll never forget it because he, when he took the sheep to the butcher, and there was a bull there that was not very happy about what was about to happen to him. And it took a while to get this gigantic animal in. And he was killed. And then this pig made a huge fuss about his situation. And then it was the sheep's turn. And he hands the leash over to the guy who walks the sheep up the gangplank. And he says what he will never forget is when the sheep turned around. And these are his very words to me the other night. The sheep looked at him. And tears were rolling down his cheeks. That's not an unintelligent animal. Quite the opposite. It's an animal that knows pretty much what might happen here. But is that humble? Why is it that servanthood and humility are questioned? The sheep's throat was cut. And during the fiesta, my brother could not eat any of the tacos. There's something powerful that we learn from Jesus who like a lamb was led to the slaughter for you and me. Like the sheep, he opened not his mouth. He willingly came to buy you back, to pay for our guilt. These signs are so simple, but that's what makes them so profound that it's for anybody. It's not just for sophisticated theologians to comprehend. Jesus can be a deep discussion, but he's the most simple experience. 
The sign of his mercy. He tells you what's coming. He issues warnings, just like a good uh, warning that a, a tornado's coming, or an earthquake, or a flood. I heard the other night we had a flash flood warning. For those who had a burden to stay off the highway, it paid off. God in his mercy lets us know what is to come. He wants us to live. He wants to protect us from the things that surround us. Because his disciples are the most precious reason for living. He doesn't plan to just live all eternity by himself. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. Signs. Simple signs like the sign of his character. Somebody is hungry, he gave them food to eat. If someone was sick, he healed them. If someone was dead, guess what? Jesus was known to interrupt a funeral from time to time. Jesus could calm storms, but he was also known to sit a child on his lap. Yet he could discuss the deepest theology with the doctors of the law. Jesus didn't come to take care of himself. He says, if you want to experience greatness... Be the servant of everybody else. And every day his disciples learned that they were not to be served, that they had the joy now of serving others. And so we come now to the last sign. The greatest sign of all, because you see, we, 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 we hear about the, the, the Jesus is coming again, and that's such a, a scary thing. I, I remember I, I was up in San Jose, California one day, and a kid was wearing a t-shirt, and it, and it said, Jesus is coming soon. And man, is he angry. I said, what's with the shirt, man? Oh, we're doing missionary work. (laughs) Jesus is mad? Yeah. He's coming, man. Place is going to burn, man. We're going to toast the sinners, man. I said, I don't want that Jesus to come. That is not the Jesus that I've met. The Jesus that I've met is coming in the clouds of glory. I don't see destruction. Yeah, there's going to be an earthquake because tombs are going to be opening up of those who died in the Lord. I hear about a Jesus who says, I'm coming to take you home. So I I can't wear your shirt, man. Hey, why are you telling me this stuff, man? I'm doing missionary work. So from one missionary to another, take off that shirt. A disciple of Jesus doesn't have bad news. It's called the gospel. It's good news. He wants to live in you forever. Now, those of you who took uh, um, you know, different science courses, remember the, when you finally uh, got into physics? And E equals MC squared was the most frightening thing I had ever read. But I said E equals MC2. <laughs> you can see why it's frightening. I could not come with the same conclusion that the professor was trying to drill into this hard head that was impenetrable at the time. Physics helps you understand that there's a lot more than what's obvious. If you watch the neutron go by versus riding inside the neutron, what does that do to the time continuum? What does that do to to the definition of eternity versus, versus a limited lifespan? There are incredible Things that are beyond us, but we know it's somewhere out there because every time science advances another step, we realize there's something greater than us out there. There is a God who loves you so much that He sent His only Son that you might live. 
He paid for your guilt. And now when you experience that, we found this week that there's only so much that you can reproduce in a laboratory. There's only so much data that you can collect. And when you reach the end of that, you will, you will automatically say, well, there is just not enough data that will have to remain a mystery for now. But don't ever leave out the element of experience for any good practitioner knows I don't know how to explain it, but my last 25 years of practice, I haven't read it in the journal yet, I haven't been able, but it keeps happening at my clinic that when I follow this procedure, the patient responds like that. Experience is another incredible element, even in science. In Christianity, there's only so much you can study before you've studied yourself out. Sooner or later, You must experience Him. Back home at your church, at your job, sooner or later, you must experience Jesus. Don't just talk about Him. Discover who He is. Jesus was landing uh, on a shore one day, crossing the lake with His disciples. He was going to a place called Decapolis, which is ten cities. Gadara and Gennesaret were the nearest villages. Cities were villages in our terms today. And as he gets off the boat, a man who was possessed by demons comes running out of the cemetery, out of tombs, caves dug into the, the, the side of the hills. And he, he was foaming at the mouth, and he, he had been tied with chains and ropes, and there was pieces of things all over him. He had horrible wounds and infections and a stench coming off of him. He had lived among the bodies up in the cemetery. He had desecrated many families' tombs. All of Decapolis was terrified of this guy, but when he he saw Jesus. He saw a chance to be free. And he ran down there. And of course, the disciples wanted to get back on the boat and leave quickly. But Jesus stood there. And he ran up to him. And he wanted to say, Savior, Savior. But he couldn't. The devil spoke through him. What have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Why have you come to torment us? And Jesus says, Come out of him. What is your name? Legion, for we are many. A legion of Roman soldiers could number as many as a thousand or more. This guy was tormented. His life was tied up in knots. And Jesus was his secret to survival. Come out of him. Uh, There's pigs and the economy of Decapolis was sitting up there. Two thousand pigs. That was the entire... I mean, that's like this big building over here with those towers and all those extra rectangles that have been added since I moved away. What would this place be without your key laboratory? Well, we would continue to function. Yes, but where would your patient load be? There's something powerful when the devil targets the local economy. Jesus said, uh, you can go wherever you want as long as you leave him. So suddenly there was a violent turnabout up on the hill where the pigs had been hanging out. And I'm sorry, I can't produce the sound, but you can only imagine. 2,000 pigs going off a cliff and landing into the Sea of Galilee. I have not yet seen a pig who can swim very well. So as they looked at their economy floating, with no refrigerators invented at this point in history, probably not in wintertime even, 
The shepherds ran back to Decapolis and said, Somebody came and destroyed our economy. And they came out and sure enough, nobody noticed that the man who'd been possessed of demons was sitting there in his sound mind, completely healthy at the feet of Jesus. That's what happens when Jesus calls you. He not only forgives you of your sins, he cleanses you of unrighteousness. And everybody came to are you our pigs? And Jesus, before he could say anything, get out, leave this place. Now, imagine Jesus would have felt like to be kicked out of town. Now, I've been kicked out of Glendale. I've been kicked out of Brisbane, right next to San Francisco. I've been kicked out of several communities for being an undesirable, wearing khaki pants and a Pendleton shirt and hair combed back. You know what I'm talking about? This poor man, Jesus had come to talk about his father's kingdom. But all they could think of was all those pigs who died. And all of their economy now in shambles. They're going to scramble and butcher them as fast as they can. And and, and divide up all over and sell as much of it as they can before the rest of it rots. There's clearly a massive loss here. And Jesus is summarily told, get out of here. But as Jesus is getting into the boat... The man who had been possessed of demons, who was now free, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of the King of Kings, says, Master, could I get in the boat with you? You can almost hear it in his heart. I'd be the best 13th disciple you ever had because I'm a famous guy. Everybody is afraid of me. But when they see what you've done for me, I can, go, I, I can really give you some credibility. But what did Jesus say to him? Oh, no, man, you stay here. But I thought all disciples hang out with Jesus. No, no, no. Disciples spread out. You go back to your family and your friends and tell them what great things God has done for you. You see, that's what happens when you become a disciple. You now have something to say to somebody else. If you've experienced Jesus, if he goes beyond a theory, if he becomes somebody personal to you, you now can tell somebody what he has done for you and what great mercy he has shown you. Tell them what he has done for you and what great mercy he has shown you. And so Jesus left and everybody was mad. But in the next few days, weeks, and months to follow, everybody was shocked. It's you! Yeah, I know. I I went and fixed up the the family tomb. I'm really sorry. I I couldn't believe I was doing it either. I, I had no control. There was no medication either. But then one day Jesus came. Oh, the guy we kicked out. Yeah. Because of him, I now glorify God. You see the power of a disciple who testifies to another what God has done for them? As Jesus died on the cross to the horror of his disciples, they discovered it would never be their way. And that's how it is. Know that it doesn't have to go your way. It will go God's way. And when Jesus was resurrected on the third day, he hung out with his disciples for 40 days and 40 nights. And then we get to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and onward. Jesus tells his disciples, okay, or well... First they're saying, Master, what are we going to do? Like, I mean, you can't just be leaving, you know. Like, you know, like, you know, we're going to get stuck here. And what's going to happen without, you you know? So, like, you know? And Jesus says, go you, therefore. Us? 
Go you therefore and make disciples of all the world, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've taught you. And lo, I will be with you every day until the end of the world. You see, there are many signs that Jesus is coming again. We are told in Matthew chapter 24 and in Luke 21 and Mark chapter 13 that there will be signs, there will be earthquakes in diverse places and pestilences, there will be, there will be droughts, there will be wars and rumors of wars and, everybody, and men's hearts will be failing them for fear. I know people right now who say, I can't turn on the news. Wait, let me turn it on. <laughs> and they're hooked. Ah, this is scary. Which I want to hear this. <laughs> and it's interesting that what we are most afraid of, which I want to, I'm going now to MSNBC and then in CNN and other ends and alphabet networks. <laughs> and we're scared to death. My daddy watches the news. I could tell. He's scared. You, you just watched the news. Yes, I just watched the news. They're after Mexicans again. <laughs> you should see like what it's like to have such an angry nation right now. And you look like us. Empathize. Put on our huaraches for a mile. And experience what it is to be Latino from time to time. And you see, there's so many signs that people are scared. There's too much stuff happening. And Jesus says, no, you'll see all this stuff, but the end is not yet. Jesus turns up the pressure. For nations shall rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. You mean it's kind of like increase? Yeah, but don't worry. Don't worry. The greatest sign of all is going to happen. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world. Then, then the end will come. So what is the greatest sign? The greatest sign is you and me, filled with the Holy Spirit. Disciples of Jesus, spreading out, greater than a thousand evangelists. And I can say this because I'm an evangelist. I, I don't know if you can tell, in your worst nightmares. By God's grace, we've seen over 12,000 baptisms in the last 15 months alone. But in a world of 6 billion, that is so statistically insignificant, it really has not happened. There are not enough anybody in the ministry to do what God has promised is going to happen. Greater than the work of a thousand evangelists is a hundred thousand disciples, each of whom brings one person into a discipleship relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you have an evangelist, that's called addition. You add some people to the list. But when millions of us are filled with the Holy Spirit and we share with but one person, that's called a movement. I've worked with people who worked with Gandhi because I study movements. 
And I've discovered that simplicity, when normal people commit to an abnormal cause, just stand up in a society and say, we can do better than this. And they go together, and an entire nation is changed. I've worked with many of the staff members of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., And I always ask these guys, how did it happen? We don't know. The Holy Spirit went before us. And it became a movement. Common folk who caught a vision. A discipleship movement that spread. I was a kid in L.A. who was blessed by Dr. King's ministry. When he preached that I have a dream speech, I stood there. And I couldn't believe it. And I said, where are his notes? And by the way, just so that you know, Dr. King's staff told him that day, whatever you do, Martin, don't talk about I have a dream. You've talked about it in 32 other places. These people have been dreamed out. You did it in Detroit. You did it in Chicago. You did it in Tennessee. You've been all over Georgia with the dream speech. Can you just leave that part of it out, okay? Because we as a staff, we've heard it enough. So he finished his prepared remarks on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Then the Holy Spirit came upon him. And he talked about the dream for the 33rd time. You see the power of discipleship? You're faithful. You're consistent. You don't let go of the message. The last sign is you and me filled with the Holy Spirit, sharing Jesus like never before. Sharing Jesus like never before. Not a Jesus that we heard about. Not simply a Jesus that you studied about. It's a Jesus that you've come to experience in your own life. Ladies and gentlemen, it is fitting that we should be discussing Jesus at such a time as this. In a secularized world, it has no need of God. I mean, we work hard. We we suffer. We've been through stuff in our families. We go through all kinds of experiences. But one thing cannot change. If you meet Jesus... He's going to make you a greater impact than you ever imagined. If you thought being a mechanic or a carpenter or a plumber is a great thing, do it in the name of Jesus and watch what plumbing can do when you go to the home of somebody who's in despair. It's called grace. A friend of mine early this morning, I asked her, what should I mention? And she said, talk about grace. Talk about grace. You know what grace is? When you don't deserve it and somebody loves you anyway. Has that happened to you? Theologians would tell you it means unmerited favor. Whatever that means. I just like the idea that I really messed up and like I blew it and somebody loves me anyway. The grace of Jesus Christ be with you all, is what the disciples would say when they would preach, when they would write letters, when they would talk, when they would visit with people. The grace of Jesus Christ be with you. There's something powerful about being a disciple. This is a movement now. I don't know if you, didn't, if you knew, but last year, over 76,000 disciples stood up in North America. Something's going on that's called decentralized. You can't trace where it's coming from except that it's coming from the Lord. Joel 2, verse 28. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And I shall pour out my spirit on all flesh after those days, saith the Lord. 
And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old people will dream dreams. Your young people will see visions. He's describing a movement. And remember, the people you don't get along with are the older ones. Come on now, admit it. Do you really like all your professors? Admit it. Don't, don't raise your hand, just your conscience. If you're watching back home, do you really love all of your supervisors and bosses? Don't, don't, don't say anything. Do you really like all the deacons and elders at your... Don't, don't tell me. You see, we're only human. But God pouring out His Holy Spirit is going to bring us together. Young and old. He's called the adults dreamers because dreams are basically, for most of us, based on the past. You know, short-term memory, long-term memory, all those activities, with a few exceptions for those that God gives premonitions about the future. But the rest of us, it's about the past. Dreamers are people whose orientation is the past. So you hear uh, professors and other adults on campus and back at your church say, the good old days, back when things were greater and better, back when research made more sense. Back when you didn't need a laptop, you could use a typewriter calmly at your leisure. See, adults think of the past, but youth, young people, you guys, you think of the future. You're like, oh, you're seeing stuff that we can't yet imagine. And, and, and my kids, they, a CD is old to them. That's very depressing to people like me. Because I still prize my album collection. Although I can't find a turntable to put one on. Dad, what's with the big black CDs? Now my kids are into MP3s and into, they're into V-casting and podcasting and all kinds of stuff. See, because you guys are oriented in the future and the adults are oriented in the past. But when the, we were told by a prophetic writer, we have nothing to fear for the future lest we forget how God has led us in the past. You bring those two together and that is a spiritual nuclear device against darkness. Young and old in a discipleship movement where you're not relying on only pastors to carry the load, where the pastor's trying to keep up with disciples who have met Jesus for themselves. You see, the Lord has a plan for your life. The God has a plan so that you can be a disciple of substance. That's why you're studying here. That's why you're in your town, at your church, in your home right now, because God has a plan for you. Disciples are everywhere. A movement is when something simple catches the hearts of people. And simple people do extraordinary things. And you add to that that the greatest sign would be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit from God Himself. And then a discipleship movement explodes. What's six billion? When, in a, when a multiplication factor is increasing by the moment. I want to sing this song about surrender. And as you hear this song, this is our closing meeting if the Lord has called you, again, if the Lord has called you to be a disciple, let's come together here and pray together on this, the last sign, because this is a program that is intended to also be coupled with a training curriculum so that those who are not sure how to disciple others can receive orientation on what it means to live Jesus with such passion that others come to know Him as well. It begins with a commitment. And as we sing this song, if the Lord is calling you to be a disciple, don't worry and don't be afraid. Come forward that we might pray together here at this altar as we conclude this important series. All to Jesus I surrender. 
come to you and we ask today that you fulfill this sign that you make us disciples so committed that we've come to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Lord speak to our hearts because there are so many things that distract us in this world thank you that everything you ask of us you did first you were faithful to us you gave your only son You have loved us. 
You have done everything necessary and everything possible to restore us to your side. And Lord, we ask for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit that we be disciples of substance, disciples who are not merely content to follow Jesus and go to a church somewhere, but disciples to go out into the world among our friends, among our family, neighbors, and others, unafraid to share Jesus as we have experienced Him. Lord, fulfill Your promise. Fulfill it now. For we ask in Jesus' name, Amen.